and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We heard that name once more in the song. We heard it in the hymns earlier. Let's read that verse one more time. Isaiah 7:14. Ready to begin. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Our dear God, we're thankful for sending your son as Emmanuel to be God with us. And the beauty of the Christ of Calvary and the beauty of his purpose in the reason he had to come for life. And it just, so much of what we're studying, even today, so many thousands of years later, that it still has value for us and it still can help us and it still can be a season of cheer and joy for a reason and that no matter, literally no matter what, there's um, reason to rejoice in you and reason to trust you. And so I pray today that if there's somebody this morning that has never trusted you, doesn't know the reason for the season, as the saying goes, that, that they'll receive you today, that they'll hear the words of your son and believe it and, and, and hear them as words from you. And so bless our time in the Word this morning, and we're thankful in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I've mentioned before my favorite news site called the Babylon Bee. It's a satire site, so everything is fake news on there. But it's, uh, their subtitle is even, Fake News You Can Trust. And I like that. I appreciate that about satire because it's, boy, it's so close to the truth, but it's obviously not truth. It's exaggerated. And so a wonderful new take on wrapping up the year that came out with an article this past week that says, for the second year in a row, the Babylon Bee is proud to present our coveted Christian of the Year Award. Each year since this award was conceived, which was last year, we recognize one Christian who has stood head and shoulders above the rest, fighting for the gospel and defending the church of Jesus Christ. We considered awarding it to local pastors who fight for their congregations through thick and thin. We thought of the missionaries spreading the gospel abroad, no matter the personal cost. But in the end, let's be honest, there was really ever only one person we could give this award to, the man who saved Christmas, the man who ensured God's will could, be, could continue to be done by packing the courts with Republicans the man who stood bravely as a tide of liberalism threatened to wash our country down the drain and stemmed the tide with his bare hands of persimmon hue. That man is President Donald Trump, <laughs> Christian of the Year. Thank you for your service, Mr. Trump, and congratulations on the award. The title of the article, of course, is Donald Trump is Babylon's, Babylon B's Christian of the Year 2019. And I think that is so good because satire is so wonderful because it's just about that close to the truth for some people. That their savior is this Christian of the year, Donald Trump. And I think all of us struggle with that, though, on some level, that, that we wrap up everything that our lives are going to be. Boy, it's not going to be right unless this person is in the White House. And my life will be a wreck if this happens politically. And, and, and my life, as if our lives are wrapped up in, in Trump we trust. As if our lives are wrapped up in, you know, and I'm all for patriotism. I'm all for this idea that, that, 
that we ought not rewrite history to, to uh, put such a dark twist on history. And the beauty of our country is that we're fighting for good constantly. And I know there's, there's those that will try to detract from that. And I know there's those who will look at Trump and look at the great things that he's doing. And I'm glad that abortion is on the decline. I'm glad 900 abortion clinics have been shut down over the past few years. I'm glad 187 federal judges have been chosen uh, uh, since he was there. I'm glad that there are some there are some anti-biblical Obama-era policies that are being repealed now. I'm glad for all of those things, but my hope is still not in Washington. And I'm not going to lift up President Trump as if Christianity will somehow break apart if he's not the glue that holds us together. Obviously, that's not the case. I'm here to say it's never been about what government is in charge. Although God can use the government that is in charge in order to bring about his will, it's still in the hands of God. Just look at the very Christmas story. We look at Luke 2. It came to pass in those days that that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This was a governmental um, organization that caused, that, that, that caused people to go back to their home territory in order to be uh, uh, counted for the census and taxed in that way. And apparently Mary and Joseph, you know the Christmas story, they're in Nazareth awaiting the wedding ceremony. She is great with child. She's coming up on nine months pregnant. And then she realizes that the news comes that we have to go back to Bethlehem for this census, for this taxing. She's waiting her marriage ceremony. They're planning all these things in Nazareth, 70 miles away from Bethlehem. She's nine months pregnant. And at the last minute, the government steps in and forces a change that she was not anticipating, she was not expecting. You, you, you remember when you were pregnant, you moms that were pregnant. It's hard enough to get pregnant with all these. My wife had tons of pillows and body pillows, and you tuck them up in there, and your back is sore, and it hurts, and you have another pillow for your head, and another pillow for your knees, and another pillow perfectly shaped, and you have a pillow top mattress, and you have a, 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 a wonderful pillow, and a special pillow for the pillows, and everything is so soft and padded, and imagine being nine months pregnant, and getting word from your government that you have to travel on donkey with a caravan of people 70 miles down to El Cajon. Oh man, this is gonna be a this is gonna be a trip. And you have to waddle your way all the way out of here, all the way down for nine, ten, twelve days of traveling. Imagine how difficult that would be as a new mom, especially with your first baby, unsure about what's going on with my body, how what's happening to me, what's wrong with me? Why am I thinking like this? And you realize they stayed there. In, in, in Bethlehem for a certain uh, amount of time because the prophecies, I mean, the story of the wise men showing up, they came and followed the star to Bethlehem, and then they followed it to where the young child was. They went to the house where the young child was, so apparently they stay in Bethlehem for a little while. And, and all of that would not have happened unless God's providential hand had moved this couple who had been planning to have their baby in Nazareth moved them to Bethlehem. Because when the wise men show up, they go to Herod's uh, temple and they ask him, where is this one that has been born, king of the Jews? And he's going, what's going on here? And he asks his scribes, what are these wise men talking about? And they search the scriptures and they find out, come to find out, oh, there's a prophecy about a baby being born in Bethlehem. 
just a few miles from here. And so the fateful day, obviously, where he goes and he kills all babies under two years old. But at the same time, the idea is the prophecy from hundreds of years ago was that a baby was to be born as Messiah in Bethlehem. And if it had not been for God's moving in the hand of governments, God's moving in the hands of political leaders, then then it would not have made sense for Mary and Joseph to have left the comforts of Nazareth and gone to Bethlehem in the first place. It's like the proverb says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. It's almost like God has the things under control. And Isaiah 7, where we read, is exactly that story where, um, well, we'll look at it. Verse number 1, it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, this is a king of Judah, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, so there's one king from Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it. So they're sieging the city of Jerusalem. They're attacking with this alliance of Syria and Israel coming against Judah. And, and, and God's hand being on the nation of Judah, he sends Isaiah the prophet to the king. And, and he's saying, I understand you're under siege. I understand this is going to be a time of fear. I understand that you think you'll never get out of this. But God, in verse number three, tells Isaiah, look, take this message to Ahaz. He's under besiegement right now. Go meet him at these water brooks. He's, he's planning on how to feed his troops and how he's going to survive this besiegement. He's figuring all these things out. But Isaiah, take this message down to Ahaz. And look at verse number four. Here's the message from God through Isaiah, through the prophet Isaiah. Verse number four, and say unto him, take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted. For the two tails of these smoking firebrands. And he goes on to say that, look, these two, these two men who are attacking you, they cannot succeed against my will. And so the message from God through Isaiah to Ahaz is saying, look, don't, don't, don't allow Ahaz to worry, even though it seems like he has no way out of this. He's under besiegement. He's under a, a situation where it looks like he can never win this battle. There's no way he's going to come out alive. There's no way. But the message to Ahaz is just take heed. Be quiet. Fear not. Neither be faint-hearted. Look at the end of verse number 9. Um, the end of verse number 9. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. So Ahaz, here's the message. Don't worry about these two men who are attacking you. They're under the control of God. God can wipe them out if he decides and if you choose to trust me. So be quiet. Fear not. Trust me. And if you don't trust me, then you will be removed. Then it won't work out right for you. If you continue to try to build up your bulwarks as if you can defeat these allied enemies against you, if you're the one that's going to be pushing your own fears through, and I can't trust God, I've got to be able to work this for myself. I don't believe God in this situation. I will not receive his words. Then I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can trust God like that. And God says, look, in order to give you proof of my, of my prophet Isaiah, verse 11, ask thee a sign of the Lord. 
Ask it either the depth or the height thereof. Just, just uh, uh, this is a command of God to say, look, ask God for a sign. And Ahaz in verse 12, well, I'm not going to ask. Neither will I tempt the Lord, as if he's some kind of spiritual guru. He's the one offering babies as sacrifices. He's not close to God. This isn't a, this isn't a great spiritual statement. He's still doubting God. Oh, well, uh, I'm not sure if I want to ask God for a sign. It's almost like, well, if God does give a sign, I'll be liable for it. I'm going to have to follow God then if he really proves himself. And Isaiah said in verse number 13, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? Isaiah said, I'm getting really tired of you not believing God. I mean, it's okay if you can weary men. I mean, you're really trying my patience, he says. But, verse 13, the end of it, but will ye weary my God also? God is the one who told you to ask for a sign. Don't doubt God in this situation. I told you to ask for a sign, and I'm going to show myself strong on your behalf. So, verse number 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Despite whether you ask for it or not, this will be the sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, there's a, there's a boy that's going to be born, and his name will mean for you and your people, God with us. There's a name that you can trust that will, that will be like the, the one who establishes peace and harmony in your kingdom. There will be a good ending to this story if you choose to trust and, and help uh, and follow me. Now, in Old Testament scripture, and the Jews will read this, even modern day Jews will read Isaiah, and they will look at this and say, well, obviously this is not talking about, about Messiah, because what would it have meant to them as the original readers? What would Ahaz have, have even learned from this? He's not thinking of Messiah in the future. And so obviously this means, this, this means something deeper and something different than that. And so yes, obviously there was a meaning for Isaiah and for Ahaz in this original context. There was purpose for this to be written to Ahaz. It's not only about Messiah. It's not only about Jesus Christ. But back then it must have meant something to them. And yet... Scripture is somewhat silent on exactly who that was, but we realize the end of the story is that he does not believe God. Isaiah and Syria come in, and the rest of the, the chapter talks about them wiping through Judah, turning it into a wasteland, and the things that are going to come as a result of that. And so we look at this, we look at this, God intervening in politics, and we look at God saying, I will be with you if you'll trust me. I have a message of God for you, and you will, you will fail if you choose to just force your own fears through this. But these people are no match for me, so believe me, trust me, trust my words. And, and, and God says, my words to you, my words of comfort, are that I'm going to send this one with this beautiful name, Emmanuel, which just means God with us. And Ahaz, perhaps seeing the handwriting on the wall of the demise of his kingdom, realizing there's no hope for me as I choose to continue to push back against from God right in the middle of this turmoil, right in the middle of all this, then chapter after chapter reveals more and more about how God is going to care for them. And in chapter 8, he revisits that name of Emmanuel, which will be God with us. In chapter 9, he gives a little more expansion on who this one will be. Chapter 9, verse 6 is another familiar verse. Look at chapter 9, verse number 6. Little by little, we're understanding who is this, who, who is this talking about. 
We don't know exactly what child this was, but, but instead of focusing on the human who was actually born, it seems like the prophecy here is focusing on that name, Emmanuel, God with us. And he says it again in chapter 8. And in chapter 9, this is where it expands it now to the more messianic prophecies, where it's going to be something about beyond where they are right then. Verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. These lists of epithets, these lists of five things that are often attributed to these wonderful kings. And Isaiah 9-6 is this wonderful... Um, Obviously, this is something bigger than just a human king because verse number seven, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is, this is Isaiah slowly and slowly revealing to them, look, I know that I'm calling you to trust me, but I'm calling you to trust me into something that's even bigger than just our political situation here. And I'm, and I'm calling you to, to have a dream of something that's going to be this season of peace ushered in by this Messiah. He'll be wonderful. He'll be the counselor. He'll be the prince of peace, the everlasting father. His kingdom will never end. This is a, a message of hope that it's not my, my answers to all my problems and all the angst is not in better political figures, not in a better economy, not in diplomacy, not in hiring mercenaries to fight your battles for you, not in forcing my way through without God, but God constantly is bringing us back to say, take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted. The turmoil of life can feel not non-stop and unending. And just like the song that the choir sang earlier, look, there's more light in this child than darkness in the world. There's more peace in this prince than power of strife or sword. He's the prince of peace. There's more love in this king than death can stand against. There's more in Jesus Christ and in this, in this one who will be called Emmanuel, God with us. That is where our source of hope is, not in politics. I did a study of these names with human names that have the name of God in, in uh, the definition of them as well. We have our brother Ariel here. It's not Ariel. It's Ariel. R-E-L. The words E-L. I mean, the letters E-L. If you see these in, in these names, it's talking about God, Ariel, the Lion of God, Daniel, Daniel, God is my judge, El, I, Jah, El is God, Jah is Yah, Jehovah, God is Yahweh, El, Isha, Elisha, God is salvation, Ezekiel, Gabriel, Gabriel, Joel, Jehovah, and Elohim. Je Jehovah and, or Yahweh is God. Michael, Michael, Nathaniel, Samuel, Elijah. And over and over we see these names that have significance to them. And then the names of Jehovah as, as either J-O or J-E-H names or, or names that end in the letters A-H. Uh, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joab, Jehovah is father, Abba, father, Joe, 
Ab, Joshua, Nehemiah, Obadiah, Zechariah. All these names are, are these men who have lived. And through their lives, they point people to God. And through the ways that they bring their message. And many of our Old Testament prophets, major and minor prophets, end in the letters A-H. Because their lives were a message of pointing people toward God as judge or as king or as ruler or as peace giver or as lion. And these were actually men. But because of their humanity, they were separated from God. They were, not, they were not God themselves. They just bore his name in the definition of their name. And then hundreds of years later, we have Gabriel, Gabriel, show up to this little virgin girl and say, you're going to be with child. And you'll not know a man. And she says, how can this be, seeing I know not a man? To be a virgin means that I'm obviously not able to be with child. And, and we look at the scripture references of virgins and there's skeptics who will look at these verses that we read in Isaiah and say, oh, obviously there's a better word for virgin there. He doesn't mean virgin, he means young girl. And so she must have had sexual relations and there must be, there must be some mistake. And over and over we see through scripture and not even just through scripture, we see ancient writings as well that predate Isaiah using the word that he uses here for virgin as those that have not known a man. And then Gabriel comes to this little virgin girl and says, you're going to be with child and name him Jesus. Yesu, or in Aramaic, Yeshua, or Joshua, as we might say in English. Yahweh is salvation. And you'll call him Jesus. And then Matthew says, which is the interpretation, which is the broadening, which is really the bigger picture of what Isaiah was saying in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7. He shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. All this was done, which was fulfilled and spoken by the Lord, by the prophet, Matthew 1 says. So, we talk about the virgin conception or the virgin birth around this time of year because it's an important doctrine you say, but why is that so important? Why do we have to care about the virgin birth? Why does it matter that, he, that Jesus was born of a virgin? And there's aspects of it that, um, that, are, that are obvious, and we take the doctrine from other portions of Scripture that the sin is passed through the man. But in other ways, we can look at just the definition of the name Emmanuel. And where's Emmanuel? We have an Emmanuel in our orchestra, Emmanuel Estacoy. There's Emmanuel, and he's a great guy. But he's not God with us. I mean, his name means God with us, but he is not God with us. Because he was born of a man. He took on the seed of a man. And so that seed passed on the sin nature to Emmanuel, the human. So he is not God with us, but his name still means God with us. So the virgin birth is what we're talking about. What we're talking about in Emmanuel is that his name becomes literally who he is, God with us. And the differences between those two names, Emmanuel's name and Emmanuel's name, is the difference of heaven and hell. The difference of believing that God literally came to be here on earth and he was sinless and he gave his life as a sacrifice for us. This is the hope that we're placing our entire lives into, that Emmanuel is literally God with us. That his virgin birth is important to us because, because our faith is placed not in some human, not in some great teacher, not in a great rabbi, not in a great Jew who lived and died for a good cause, but the one who died for our eternity. And the one who died for our salvation, 
and that this man became our salvation. Our hope then is not in America, it's not in Pence, it's not in Trump, it's not in justice, it's not in due process, it's not in free speech, it's not in gun rights. Our hope is not in tax-exempt status. Matthew 1.21 is telling Mary he should be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. People don't like the virgin conception because when Emmanuel's name has to be taken literally, that God is literally with us and And we can think, sure, God is with me in a general way, and I think that God is out there somewhere. But when when it's like, boy, Jesus actually is God, then what he says becomes exclusive and authoritative for me. And what he says becomes something that, I should actually follow this. And what he says becomes the very words of God. Like not another great wise teacher, but the words of God. And as we learned last Sunday in, in, in the sermon from Pastor, then, then it's, not about, it's not about placing my faith in Mary or in what she says or trusting something she has done for us. But my whole trust, my whole hope is in Jesus Christ. That's why we're so wrapped up about Jesus Christ around here. If you're a Christian, you know that your life is often fraught with with turmoil that's there. And if it's like, boy, I've just got to work my way out of my own problems and I've got to, I've got to push my way through this, and then, then obviously then the, the source of your trust, the source of your hope can't be in some kind of political or in some kind of physical answer that's out there. What God does through the preaching of the Word of God and through your own reading of the Word of God and through church and through worship is just point our eyes toward the more eternal answer to trust in Christ. I know it's a Sunday school answer. I know it's so basic. But that Jesus is, if that is what Jesus said to do, and Jesus is God talking to us and commanding us authoritatively, then that's what I must follow. You know that as a Christian, then you look at the enemy that's out there and say, you know what, my life needs to be wrapped up in Emmanuel, God with us. We think we can handle it. We think our lives... In some way, can be say, you know what? Yeah, I got saved. I'm already a Christian. I understand that God is with me. And so now as a Christian, we believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that God is literally with me all the time. He indwells me. He's with me um, everywhere I go. He is inside of me as the Holy Spirit. We say, I did that a long time ago. I trusted already when I got saved. And yet, you know what God is bringing us to? Just like In some ways, what he's bringing Ahaz to, this same message, is the same thing for us to live day after day after day after day, is that I know you trusted him for salvation, but can you trust him with the everyday affairs of life too? Because that's what we Christians do. Church isn't only a time to see people become Christians, but for Christians to be fed and to grow and to get their eyes onto eternal answers for all of life's problems. And again, I'm not trying to be too basic, but... But, but really, through all those little bumps that we face in life, the answer continues to be the simple basics of truth, uh, the simple basics of, of Scripture. Just keep on reading the Scripture daily. How do I trust Messiah? How do I trust God with us? How, how can I live a life of trusting God? You say I should, but what's it mean to trust God? I've got these little issues in my life. I mean, it's all the basics. It's all the... A car only runs on four wheels. You know, there's only a few basic things that run your life as a Christian. And it's the simple things like being in the scriptures daily and staying connected to church. 
and living a life of prayer without ceasing and constant communion with the Father. And a life of, 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 of running your life and your business with biblical principles. I, I want to be an honest person. I want to be a, a just person. I want to avoid sin and vices. These are the basics that Christians have always stood for. The basics that make society better by just Christians living as Christ would have us to. Training your kids to love Jesus Christ, not blaming him for those bumps in the road. You say, okay, that's fine for all the little bumps. I'll keep reading my Bible. I'll keep praying. I'll keep doing that. I'll keep connected to church. I'll keep pointing my eyes toward God. But what about the big bumps in life? I've got bigger problems than these little things you're talking about. The sneaky answer of Christianity is that the basic answers apply to the little bumps as well as the big bumps as well. Because God's not going to change. He's not going to make it more complicated. When your problems get more complicated, he's not going to make the answer more complicated for you to have to figure out. He's just going to say, stay faithful to me. Just, you know what I told you in the small bumps? Just stay in the word. Just stay close to me. Just keep a, a tight communion with me. Just trust me. Keep your eyes lifted up on eternal things through the little bumps of life. And yeah, when the bumps get bigger, keep doing those same little things. And just stay connected through this life of this life of trust. We were studying in Colossians this morning, the way of wisdom, this path of life that, that is just characterized by making wise choices with my eyes on Jesus Christ all the time. And again, that might sound like a cop-out. It might sound like, a well, my, my child is wayward and my spouse is unsaved or I got a dim health diagnosis and you don't understand what I'm going through. I have a financial crisis ahead of me. I have a heart of unrepentant sin. I don't even want to turn to God. I have all these things that I don't know if I could ever trust him the way that you're saying to, Pastor Ryan. Well, in some ways, I'm not trying to be fatalistic about that, but I don't know what else to tell you. Because that is the answer to every bump of your life. The small bumps, the big bumps, it is to be constantly attached to the vine. John chapter 15, abide in him and, and allow Jesus Christ to be the source of your trust and your life. My friend, Emmanuel is with us, means God with us. And I'm not talking about this Emmanuel either. He's my friend, but I'm talking about literally here, God is with you. And if you can... If you, can, if you can detach from the problems of life and see them by attaching to Jesus Christ and trusting him in those things, then, then that's exactly through the little bumps and the big bumps of life where he's trying to get us to. And Wednesday nights, pastor's been going through our Baptist heritage, our Baptist distinctives, the history of what a Baptist church is today and what it means to be Baptist and who were the Baptists of the 500s and the and the 1500s, and through the Dark Ages, and who were our Baptist forefathers. And we read story after story after story of those Christians who just said, you know what, I know I could die for this. You talk about a, a big bump in their life. I know I could die for this, but I just, I trust Jesus Christ. I know I could be burned at the stake, but I trust Jesus Christ. I know that it could be so easy to recant my faith and turn away from this and maybe just turn back to the Catholic Church. I know, I know that I could, I could even have life if I, if I chose their path. It seems like an easier path to just help my family out. I know I could get my kids back. I know I could get my parents back. I know I could get all that back, but we read stories of moms and dads and even 
teenagers and little kids who are killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And it really is pretty basic. It's just them saying, you know what? I trust that Emmanuel is God with me. And nothing you can do can take that away from me. And, and nothing you can say can make me doubt that. Nothing you can force me into will change my mind about that. Our security in Jesus Christ is by a simple trust in the supernatural provision of Emmanuel, God with us. This is a work of God. And, and as he works for us and in us, it's on us to just say, you know what, God, I trust you in all the little bumps and in all the big bumps of life. Would you please stand as we sing that song, Only Trust Him. That's a good message to that song today. That no matter what Christmas is bringing you, no matter what kind of memories it's drudging up, no matter what kind of joy or sorrow it accompanies with it, the message is still the same. The answer is still the same. The staying connected to Jesus Christ is still the same. The message of this song kind of says it all. 541 is what we're going to sing. Brother Grissom's going to lead us in that. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust in now. I'm going to pray. These altars are open. These, these steps right here can be an altar of just saying, you know what, God, I need to trust you more with my life. I need to trust you with this step of life. It's a big hurdle. It's a small hurdle. It's a big deal. It's not that big of a deal, but I still need to trust him in it. Know that Emmanuel means God with me. Let's pray. Father, dear God, we're thankful for the doctrine of the virgin birth, and yet if it only becomes a a dry and a boring academic study of what virginity is and what the sea if it only becomes that and never truly translates to realizing that you sent your son to be truly and literally God with us, then I don't know what other point it has except for maybe winning arguments. But I pray that as we gather together here on a Sunday morning, 2019, Looking ahead at 2020, there's bumps ahead of us, there are bumps behind us. And so with that in mind, dear God, would you please comfort and strengthen us in the faith that you're truly with us and that you walk beside us. Dear God, would you help us to trust you deeper and more in this next year than we did this past year. Help us in that, dear God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Brother Grissom's going to sing, and as he sings, you're invited to come. the Lord and He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you. Get your attention. I want you to think specifically about one thing maybe that you have in your life and you say it's a little bump or you say it's a big bump. And think about what you've done over the past week. Has it been worry or has it been predominantly trust in Jesus Christ? Think about your responses to those bumps in the past life.